Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, so many good questions uh, this morning on the text line. Thank you so much for your engagement. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Hour 2. If you missed Hour 1, I encourage you to download it as a podcast. You can do that at MyFaithRadio.com, on the Faith Radio app, or wherever you subscribe to your podcast. You should be subscribed to Mornings with Carmen, and that way you won't miss an episode. Um, And if you want to, you can fast forward through parts you don't like. There you go. That's the other advantage. Yeah. I, I, I confess, I admit, I know these things are happening. Um, good morning. Good morning, friend. So uh, a couple of, uh, of, of questions um, in relationship to the conversations that we had in the first hour, um, looking for a little bit of clarification on the conversation about the billboards that secularists or humanists um, have up in cities across the country, including uh, in, in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul and the Twin Cities. Related to um, the involvement or engagement of Christians, particularly those identified as, quote, Christian nationalists and wanting them out of government, like, you know, get out of government. Uh, you, you don't belong here. OK, so they want to they want to get religion out of government. Well, they really want to get religious people out of government. And so the question on the text line, well, you know, just Christians or do they want other religious people out of government as well? And I think that that is uh, probably, if pressed, the issue is that Christians are, by percentage, a much more dominant part of the conversation in the United States than are, let's say, Jews, Zionist Jews in particular, or jihadist Muslims, or let's say Hindu nationalists, right? Because Jews, Muslims, and Hindus, I mean, we're talking about really small fractional percentages when you talk about the U.S. population, um, Christianity still absolutely dominates. And so the target in view of the ad campaign are, quote unquote, Christian nationalists. Do I believe that humanists and secularists want all people of religious conviction um, out of the public square and out of conversations um, about the government? Yeah, I think they want everybody gone, but, you know, they're targeting the biggest the biggest group and the thing that they can most easily um, shoot at in the conversations of the day, which Christian nationalism would be pretty easy to uh, to take aim at. So thank you for that question. Um, so yeah, if you've got a question, you want to engage in the conversation, I'd love to hear from you. The text line is always open, 877-933-2484. Here's a question um, for us this morning. Can God be invoked for anything? Can Can you just invoke God? on whatever side you happen to be standing on and say, you know, well, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be on the right side. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring God, you know, I'm going to be on God's side and, and then just whatever side you're on is God's side. Because yesterday I heard God invoked on both sides in a, a critical election taking place in the nation of Turkey. 
which, by the way, is headed to a runoff. Both sides saying, well, God's will be done. And you know that they mean by that, God get our guy to beat the other guy. I also heard God's name and God's power invoked yesterday um, by two different politically partisan people here in the United States. Two different people on opposite sides of a partisan political divide invoking God as being on their side in terms of a current political impasse. And I guess I'm just wondering, can you just invoke God for anything? And when you do that, who is God? So God is, and God has a character and God has a will. God has been gracious to reveal himself, his character and his will um, to us through the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, through creation itself, general revelation, but through Jesus Christ and through the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments in terms of his special or specific revelation. And it's our responsibility to actually get to know him and to ask him what his will is in order that his will might be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we would bring the kingdom of God, big capital K, to bear in the midst of the kingdoms of this world on everything, on every decision we make, on every um, policy we seek to um, create or advance, everything. So what's God's will at the southern border? What's God's will in terms of guns? What's God's will in terms of education? What's God's will in terms of healthcare access? What, what's God's will in terms of people who are lonely. And then, if Jesus were you, what would he do? What would he say? Where would he go? How would he behave? What would he engage in? That's really like the rubber meets the road Christian decision before us moment by moment. All right. uh, Yesterday, the President of the United States gave a commencement address at Howard University, which is one of our historically black universities here in the United States. He said this, the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. I'm not just saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. I say it wherever I go. So is the president right? Is the most dangerous threat to our homeland white supremacy? We're going to ask Elizabeth Newman. She's a security analyst Um, She spent time in the Department of Homeland Security, and this is actually one of the things she focuses on. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Elizabeth Newman. She's a security analyst. She works with the Moonshot Group and the National Immigration Forum. And she's our friend. Elizabeth, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Okay, so when you hear the President of the United States say the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy, um, how do you respond to that? Because Christians hear that, white Christians in particular, and my guess is that many bristle. Yes, um, he's technically correct. I I think that it would do better if he would be more 
precise with his terms mm-hmm. um, and and do more explanation. Um, but the data, and we have data that goes back to like 1994. So this is not like new. Uh, the data tells us that since 2015, we have been experiencing um, drastic, exponentially drastic increases in mass attacks um, and terrorist plots and that the preponderance of those come from what is classified as uh, racially and ethically motivated violent extremism. If you're using the FBI data, if you're using uh, think tank data, they they classify it as far right. Um, and the far right incorporates not just that racial ethnic uh, component, but also um, anti-government sentiment. So think militias. Um, and on the racial side, it's white supremacy, it's anti-Semitism. Um, when you actually dig into attackers' ideology, though, it, it's not as neat as maybe an academic wants. Um, it's not like, oh, they just believe this one thing, let's check this box. Um, they tend to uh, include a lot of different conspiracy theories that come from several different boxes, if you will. Um, so the the most recent attack we had last week in Texas, um, the what we know so far, the individual uh, probably had threads of great replacement theory, which is part of the the white supremacist uh, extremist ideology. Um, he may have also had some uh, other. Um, uh, neo-Nazi, also, which is also a white supremacist, but fascist and anti-government sentiment. Um, they they tend to kind of build on each other, and it's it's hard to just say this one box is the only box that is contributing to our problem. That said, like in 2021, which is the the last year we have good data, well, we should get the 2022 data here pretty soon. In 2021, 77 percent of all attacks were from that far right category, according to CSIS, which is a think tank. Um, If you go back uh, to 1994, um, the average is in the 60th percentile, uh, 66%-ish of attacks were coming from that far right category. So the problem is coming from that side of the extremism spectrum. That doesn't mean that there aren't other contributors to our problem with violence. Certainly, we have ISIS and Al Qaeda that still like to uh, would like to attack us if they could. Um, they they find it increasingly harder to do that. We have far left. Um, we actually have an increase of violent far left attacks in the last year. We don't know if that's a new trend or if that was just a blip from last year. But um, I I would start with if I if I were advising the president. We have a um, extremism problem in the country <laughs> and start there and then uh, and then explain where some of those threads are coming from. And uh, unfortunately, uh, some of the terms have been co-opted by extremists to it's almost like um, it makes it more difficult for a mainstream person to actually hear what the president's trying to say. And that's why I think it's the communication here is so important. It, it unfortunately tends to turn off an audience. They tend to think like, come on, this is not the 1960s we've moved past, when in fact, we're dealing with the surge of something that perhaps has always been there, but it, it there is an, a newness to it. And I would love for the American people to realize 
um, how how dangerous and devastating this these movements are and the fact that they can actually help push back against it, push back against the ideologies that are leading to um, attacks at uh, malls on weekends and schools. Like that there is something that we all could be doing to push back against those evil ideologies. Hey, if you're listening right now and you're looking for a book um, on this topic, uh, Jeffrey Tubin has just authored a book called Homegrown. Um, and I think that it is really helpful in not only helping us see these threads, but also uh, contains the kind of documentation and data that Elizabeth is bringing forward to us today. So you might want to check that out. Homegrown by Jeffrey Tubin. We're going to continue our conversation with Elizabeth Newman here in just a moment. We're going to talk about um, gun violence. We're going to talk about um, safety and the question of whether or not any place is safe today. Yeah, I know, not to freak you out, but to actually prepare you um, for the challenge of the times in which we live. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Elizabeth Newman. She's a security analyst. Um, Elizabeth, let's uh, let's talk about no place is safe. Uh, what can be done to stop gun violence? Like we we look around today, and it feels like every single day um, we hear not just about another school shooting, which frankly to which we've grown kind of numb in our expectations, sadly, but. Um, other places, like, right, places of work, places of commerce, places where people are gathering for fun. Um, what what can we do? Actually, my niece yesterday, who just finished her sophomore year of college, she said, I stopped. I had to just stop listening and paying attention to things. Like, people are getting shot for having dropped off a DoorDash at the wrong address um, or trying to turn around in the wrong driveway. Yeah, it's... Um... I mean, it was bad three or four years ago. It it has reached a, another level in the in the last year, and and I will tell you that, you know, for twenty years I I've spent um, watching attack videos and and seeing the worst, right? Um, and I I I learned early in my career to create that buffer um, to compartmentalize. I'm having a harder time compartmentalizing. I'm having a harder time walking into public spaces with my kids and not going, is this a really bad idea? Am I going to regret that we went to this community event? Um, and and that's not a good place to be. That is not where we're supposed to be as a free country, right? Like we, we are supposed to uh, be able to engage with our, our community and enjoy um, freedom and, and, commerce and and whatever uh, public space that that might be your your preference and now we have to 
keep an eye out for the exits and um, is somebody acting odd? Um, so you now you also have this uh, increase of of people taking action because they just don't know is that person you know like we have the subway um, situation in New York uh, um, last week where the an individual was apparently mentally ill, but nobody on the train knew like is this guy carrying a weapon? Um, and so you have people taking matters into their own hands because they feel like they have to the DoorDash example you had, you gave, um, like, so that the fear has kind of overwhelmed us. And for those of us, uh, particularly if you're vulnerable and older, which seems to be the case of, um, individuals pulling into a driveway accidentally, um, you know, their answer is, well, I'm just going to shoot, you know, shoot before I get shot, right. Is probably their mentality, um, but why why are they in fear? Uh, some of that is probably because of what they are watching day in and day out, what they're absorbing. So some of it is probably a, an exaggerated fear that is not based in reality. So that's one part of our problem. But the other part of our problem is the there are very real mass attacks in public spaces. And um, I, I was very frustrated uh, well, every time there's an attack, I'm very frustrated, Carmen. Um, but it, uh, it very much that mall in Texas I have shopped at. It is less than five miles from where I grew up. Um, it felt very uh, personal, um, mm-hmm. and um, and and quite frankly, I've, there have been several attacks recently where the degrees of separation is is feels like it's getting closer and closer, and. Mm-hmm. The responses are just the same every time. And that drives me nuts because uh, if we keep repeating the same arguments, we're never actually going to solve the problem. And the problem is not static. The problem is increasing. So if we don't do anything starting today, the problem 10 years from now is really hard to fathom. Um, And so when I see Governor Abbott, who I I like, I, I have met Governor Abbott um, I disagree with some of his more recent uh, uh, positions, but um, I, I, when I see Governor Abbott uh, rightly say um, that this is not a that this is a complex problem that we have too much anger and fear in society, all of that's right, but then does not go to to part of the solution and address gun safety. I'm like, well, you're you're not serving, you're not leading well. Um, leadership is about saying like this is complex correct. Um, We need to address and have stronger mental health systems in the society. Absolutely true. That is what he is advocating for. But we also need to address the ease with which um, either a a mentally ill person or uh, an an individual that um, appears to have aims for violence, uh, the ease with which they can uh, obtain weapons. And like a very simple thing Texas could be doing right now is passing uh, what are known as red flag laws um, or um, extreme risk protection orders is the the technical term. And that does not, according to legal scholars, violate the Second Amendment. It just creates a tool for law enforcement or a bystander like a family member to be able to say this person is not safe. Um, this person wants to harm themselves or others. They should not have access to weaponry. That, that would uh, at, at least create some friction uh, for a, a potential attacker to be able to obtain that weapon um, and and 
slow down the process by which um, we can they prepare that attack. But there's uh, it would it would take you know much longer discussion to go into all of the details behind prevention. So here's my top line. Uh, the top line is yes, we need gun safety, and yes, we need um, a, a much stronger system of prevention, which includes increases of mental health, which includes uh, bystander education, uh, referral mechanisms, and non-law enforcement intervention. That we still need law enforcement, but we also need to strengthen the non-law enforcement approach to these problems because the. The drivers behind why people are doing these attacks, it's not actually ideology. Ideology just creates a permission structure for the violence. The drivers are psychosocial, and those drivers are not going away anytime soon. So if we're going to prevent this, we have to start working upstream and addressing some of the, the things that um, are driving people to violence in the first place. That is not a law enforcement job. That is, you know, inherently the job of us as society, as responsible responsible adults, of educators, coaches, faith leaders. We all need to be more engaged, especially with our youth, um, but but certainly also uh, the the individual in Allen, Texas, was thirty three years old. So there there is this range here of of individuals who are not doing well, who need intervention, um, and. That is a societal problem that we all need to uh, be engaged with trying to address. Um, but <laughs> unless you have political leaders willing to like go there and talk about the complexities here and what we all can do to try to begin um, rebuilding health in our society, we're just going to end up in the same do loop of, you know, we need more gun control. No, we need more mental health. It's the same talking points. And it just really aggravates me that we as a society can't seem to move past it and say, yeah, we, we need both. And, and we need to address some of these more complex issues that are driving the violence. Um, Elizabeth, thank you so much. We could have had this conversation 20 years ago in relationship to immigration and um, mm -hmm. right. Everybody just kept pushing that ball down, uh, down the field. And now we are today where we are with a not just a crisis at the U.S. southern border, but five million people having entered the United States illegally. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they are. Like you have to do something when there's actually like time to do it. And now's the time. So thank you so much um, for that. It's just really helpful. Um, Elizabeth, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. That's Elizabeth Newman. You can find her at the Moonshot Group or the National Immigration Forum. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right. Um, let's uh, let's spend a moment um, praying about the conversations that we've had this morning and the realities that we're facing today. Um, I think every once in a while we need to take a deep breath. We sometimes hear what we um, were predisposed to hear instead of actually hearing what was said. So I want us to take a deep breath. I want us to pause. I want us to go before the Lord. So let's do that. Father, we come before you. Um, recognizing that you are great and you are good and you are sovereign and we are in desperate need of your protection, your guidance, your provision today, today. Father, some of us are facing um, real financial need. 
Some of us are facing real fear. We don't even, not even sure we want to drop our kids off at school today. Um, some of us are facing um, physical pain. Some of it is chronic and we don't understand why you don't take it away. Some of us are facing um, real sadness in our relationships. We don't know why we're being treated the way we are and we don't know why we are so prone to anger. Father, we, we find ourselves like literally wringing our hands frustrated with our own ability to change. We need you, God. We need you. We need you today. (laughs) We need you now. So thank you. Thank you for being great. And thank you for being good. Help us feel your presence right now by the power of your Holy Spirit and help us find each other so that we can walk by faith together, mutually supporting one another, encouraging one another, being kingdom ambassadors in the midst of this world that you so love and that scares us so much. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. What path are you on, my friend? What path are you on? Are you on a path that leads to destruction? Um many many walk in that are you you know are you on the narrow way are you seeking to be yoked to Christ walking by faith not by sight on a path to wholeness mark mayfield is going to join us and we're going to talk about the path to wholeness what is it and how do we make progress on it that's up next here on mornings with carmen All right, Mark Mayfield is joining us now. The book is The Path to Wholeness. You can find Mark and what he's thinking about and working on at markmayfield.com. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. How are you? Oh, see, that's a complex question. Um, (laughs) I think we won't get into all of that. Uh, (laughs) It is good with my soul. I'll answer that way. Very good. Very good. How, How are you? I would agree. Same same response. It's been a, it's been an interesting couple of weeks, but it's been good. All right. So Dr. Mark Mayfield is going to um, lead us into a conversation about slowing down, exploring the way that our um, emotions develop and get us not just thinking about how we feel, but um, but actually walking in a way that moves us in a direction of wholeness. So, Mark, uh, every author like writes with someone in mind. Um, There's like a reader. And so because you dedicate your book to your daughters and you say, it's my greatest joy to be your dad, I pray that the message of this book and my own path toward wholeness have a lasting impact on you and the generations to come. So um, in there, you you actually get us all the way to, um, we don't just need language and an idea. We actually need a person who we can follow or who patterns this. So can you talk with us about the message of this book um, and what it means for you to be on a path toward wholeness? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think um, 
a lot of this book was written out of just my own journey towards uh, recognizing and realizing my own emotional experiences and, and just how far away from, I think, uh, this process many of us have become. And, um, you know, in my, in my years of being a counselor, in my years of being a pastor and, and you know, and now a dad, recognizing that my own emotional experiences uh, deeply affect those around me. And if I'm not able to dive into a vulnerable conversation with myself and exploration uh, myself, it's a, it's amazing how the ripple effect goes beyond just uh, me. And so the deep dive is really exploring uh, my own uh, interactions and engagements with my my emotions and how those turn into feelings and my own experiences with them. Uh, and so I, I wrote this book for people that really want to uh, affect the generational change in their families and, and beyond and just how powerful that decision is. So when we talk about emotions, first of all, um, Let's talk about language. Let's talk about words. Mm. What are mm. we talking about? Like, help us establish some mm. language to use here so that we can talk about getting Absolutely. on the path of wholeness. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think uh, we think emotions and feelings are the same thing, and they're not. Mm. You know, em emotions are our body's uh, automatic response to something happening inside of us or something happening outside of us. So internal, external. And it's our body's way of, of noting something has changed or something is different, right? And uh, so it might be the quickening of our heart, the, uh, you know, the, the, the ability or the desire to take a deep breath, the tensing of our shoulders or our head, our body's reacting to something. Uh, but a feeling then is the meaning making we have from that based on our own language observations and experiences. Uh, and so a lot of that is uh, in, in impacted or ingrained in us based on our own childhoods and our own growing up. Did we have uh, uh, a definition of sad or mad or glad or fear, disgust, the big five emotions? Um, and those are typically based on what we watch our caregivers doing and our experiences with them. And what we find is that many of us are... Uh, um, lacking significantly in our language development. We don't have definitions or words to put to these emotions. We experience them, we react and interact with them, but we don't communicate them well. Um, sad, mad, glad, fear, disgust. Did I get them? You, I had to write them down did. very you quickly. Did. Yep, no, you're good. Sad, mad, glad, fear, disgust. The big five. Um, if you're listening right now, what is your definition or what are the words that you put to those emotions? When I say sad, mad, glad, fear, or disgust, like where were those um, cultivated? What, you know, what are the images that come to mind? Um, what do you feel when we say those words? Um, you remind me, um, Mark, of an exercise that we as a family were encouraged to do when my nephew, who, by the way, is now almost 19 and a big, healthy guy. But when he was little in second grade, he was diagnosed with leukemia. And we, mm. as a family, fought that battle for a number of years, not knowing, like, right? Larry mm. was hanging in the balance between life and death. And um, one of the exercises we were encouraged to do, because, you know, there's little kids involved, right? You got you to gotta figure out. But there's big kids involved, too, who, mm -hmm. like you're saying, you know, we, so we were given a paper bag and then all of these emotion words and some of the uh, words or feelings words you put on the outside of the bag, like these are the mm -hmm. things that 
everybody's and then you put on the inside of the bag you actually like glued them in there as i recall like the things that were going on inside of you that you weren't letting people see Mm. and it was so great like that was so great it was a great personal exercise but then it was also great to like look in each other's bags Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's what you're helping us do like i feel like you're helping us do that absolutely yeah we need somebody to walk with us that's maybe a little farther down on the journey than us to help us figure that out yeah. So um, let's talk in just a moment about the models and why they matter on this path to wholeness. Mm-hmm. And then maybe like how we can identify and fo- and uh, find models worth following. Could we do that next? That, I love that. That's great. All right. We're talking with Mark Mayfield. The book is The Path to Wholeness. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Mark Mayfield, the book is A Path to Wholeness. Um, all right, Mark, we need models. Models matter in discipleship. Um, I, you know, I need somebody who has been further down the road of discipleship to, you know, not just stop, but like take a few steps back, join me where I am and, and walk with me. Um, so who are those people and how do we find them? Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a twofold question there. I think the first thing is we need to recognize the models that we had that Im- kind of imprinted our emotional experiences or our understanding of emotions first, and were they and and with without shame or guilt attached, we need to assess whether or not they were beneficial uh, or destructive models. Uh, I think a lot of us recognize that you know our parents, our models, did the best they could with what they had, but sometimes there were things that were lacking, and so we need to. F- find out and kind of reflect on those models. Um, you know, a, a great quote by uh, Victoria Segunda says that uh, mothers uh, and mothers are their daughter's role models, their biological and emotional roadmaps, the arbiter of all their relationships. And I, I like that because it just goes to show how much our observations and our experiences growing up matter. And yet how beautiful that is in, in uh, you know, that healing process as well. And so I think to your question, we need to understand where we've come from so we can make a better decision of where we want to go. And that then falls into some of us maybe don't know how to pick good models. Uh, and that's where I would encourage, you know, uh, pastoral counseling, biblical counseling, Christian counseling to really help unpack some of those kinds of things and go, okay, how do I reorient this, these questions to find the best models possible? Um, because many of us have never been uh, shown how to do that well. And so I think that's the best place to start is just kind of recognizing where we've come from and going, what do we want to be different moving forward? What if the thing that I want to be different moving forward is me, right? Mm -hmm. That takes, Mm -hmm. um, like, that takes me getting to a place where uh, I understand I am not operating um, out of, you know, like a redeemed self. Um, my mm. path to wholeness, right? I need, maybe I need a different theology. You talk about mm-hmm. the need for a theology of suffering and care. Mm. Um, you talk about, um, you know, the need not only to develop language, but to um, recognize that my body never forgets. Like, there's some things in here that, um, like, avoidance is never the answer. <laughs> you can pick any of these threads that you want to pull because I think each. <laughs> Because I think each and every one of those um, is is a challenge that some of us face, 
And it could yes. be the forgiveness challenge or, I mean, so just pick one of them and unpack it for us. Yeah, I think let's just, I think overarchingly, let's just talk about the fact that it takes a vulnerable conversation with ourselves to go, where do we need to start? Uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of us are, when we think of vulnerability, we don't want to put ourselves in a position to be hurt again. And mm-hmm. yet that is the position we have to put ourselves in to let go and to walk down some of these paths because without vulnerability, we can't affect change. But we've got to do that in a way that is uh, with boundaries. You know, we may, need to make sure that we're doing it with the right people and the right the right relationships. Um you know, and I think the the big thing in that is that we have to embrace the tension and, and this idea of embracing tension. So I, I share this analogy is that, you know, I living in Colorado, I've, I'm not there anymore, but I used to live in Colorado. And part of one of my favorite things to do was to to climb mountains. And it was beautiful from the the, the view from the top, right? But it took a lot of work to get to that space. And it was a lot of walking through the valleys. Uh, and then we, you know, look at the, the view from the top and you're looking at the valleys. And one of the things I noticed in the valley is that's where the growth happens. That's where the, the foliage is. That's where the water is. That's where, you know, uh, growth happens, but there's a lot of tension in that because it's hard. And I think we want to be on these mountaintop experiences and not be in the valleys, but the valleys is where the true growth happens. And so helping people really embrace the tension and sit with it instead of run from it, instead of avoid it, instead of numb it out. Well, let's, become familiar with and i think when we become familiar with our emotional experiences in those ways now we're not afraid or surprised by them and they become very good teachers um but it's the decision to do it right we have to make up our minds that we're going to do this Mm -hmm. yeah making up and then taking that first step right Mm -hmm. and it's it's a whole lot less scary if i can take that first step with a person who you know, hasn't already been where I've been in some sense, um, but who has made some progress that's identifiable. Like they actually, I do perceive them to be more whole, um, more healthy in, you know, in the spiritual sense of that term, maybe in also the physical sense of that, uh, of that term. Um, Talk with us a little bit about the connection here to the body. When you say, Mm. when you say the body never forgets, what what do you mean? So, you know, when we talk about the emo- the difference between emotions and feelings, you know, if we're not paying attention to our emotional experiences and the things that are happening around us and inside of us, um, the just the way that God has designed us, our body is meant to protect itself and it's meant to heal itself. But um, when we are engaging in people in the world around us and things are, you know, that are difficult, uh, our body actually uh, imprints that memory on itself. So the cells of our body remember, um, you know, maybe that's something that our brain or our memory doesn't. And so we have to recognize that any in- engagement that we uh, partake in um, throughout our lives, our body is imprinting that memory so that it can look back on itself and protect it if it's not good or not safe. And a lot of times that's when we get overwhelmed by our emotional experiences is that we're not recognizing that our body is, is as one author says, the body keeps the score. It's, mm. it's, it's, uh, it's there to protect ourselves. And if we're in a, in a whole and healthy spot, we can recognize those things and we can process those things out so that the body doesn't hold on to it in a way that is going to uh, maybe derail us or create um, more issues down the road. 
You can find uh, Dr. Mark Mayfield at his website, markmayfield.com. The book is The Path to Wholeness. We're talking about managing emotions and becoming like genuinely whole. Um, Mark, let's land the plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can leave, you know, folks with one thing today, what's the what's the one thing you want me to take away from the conversation about the path to wholeness? This is good work. This is work that we all need to partake in because uh, there is hope in this work. And the reason I say that is that when we do the work ourselves personally, and we are working towards that path to wholeness, it actually has generational uh, effects. And so the, 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 just the hope that I want to inspire is if you're doing the hard work as a mom or a dad uh, or a grandparent or an aunt and uncle, it's going to affect those around you in such positive ways uh, that maybe generations will be changed and affected because of it. We see that, you know, promise throughout scripture uh, that when we, when we make the, the difficult decisions to do good work, uh, it's going to have the promised effect of health uh, on our generations to come. And so do it for that. If that's the only thing you have to hold on to right now to do it for that. Okay. Are you actually a comedian? I mean, like in addition to being all of these other fancy things, I am not. There's two different Mark Mayfields out there. The website you gave was uh, for the comedian. So mine That's is That's what I'm going to say. I think I've yep. given the wrong website. Because yep. this doesn't no, look is... like you at all when I clicked on it. <laughs> Dr. Mayfield, drmayfield.com. <laughs> I am so glad we clarified that. <laughs> drmayfield.com. Drmayfield.com. Mark, um, well, it has been a delight to be here today, even though you're not a comedian. Um, you, you're, you're one wonderful conversation partner, and the book is excellent, The Path to Wholeness. Dr. Mayfield, drmayfield.com. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Well, there you go. Sometimes the things I have in my notes are not exactly true truth, but I can tell you that if you want to find Dr. Mark Mayfield, the author of The Path to Wholeness, you can do so at Dr. Dr. drmayfield.com. Yeah, there you go. Are you on the path to wholeness? What's happening? What's happening with you um, on the path to wholeness today? Do you recognize um, places where you want to make progress toward wholeness? Are you tired of being fractured and fragmented and holy in the wrong way? Like, you know, potholes and holes in the way that you think about things versus holiness, right? So um, I just want to invite you to consider one, one way in which you want to make progress today on the path to wholeness and turn in that direction. And take one step. So what's one area of life or thinking or speaking or feeling, one emotion you want to address? Turn toward it today and ask God to help you take one step on the path to wholeness. Thanks so much for this time spent together today. I love it. I appreciate the conversation. This is Mornings with Carmen. You can find us at faithradio.com. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now.
and thanks.